Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Joshua Porter coming in live with another episode of the Elite Seller Show. So today's amazing guest is a good friend of mine, Eli Lipowitz with Escala. He is the other half of the coin for Multiply Me. You may have listened to the previous episode with uh, Yoni Kosminski. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about systemizing your Amazon business, Amazon processes and systems and how to scale them up with Escala. So with that being said, I'll let Lippy introduce himself. Go ahead, Lippy. Thanks, Josh. Very excited to be here. Uh, yeah, everyone calls me Lippy, including my mom. So anyone who wants to talk to me, that's the best way to, to reach out to me. I grew up in Australia um, until I was 19, born and bred, and that's my accent, and moved to Israel when I was 19 and spent four and a half years in the military here. And since then, I've been involved in Amazon. I was part of an e-commerce business with Yoni. That's where I met him. actually met him playing Australian rules football in Israel. And... Yeah, we were part of a, an Amazon business that we saw at scale from two to five million and, and uh, actually had an exit to Thrasio. Um, and that was one of the first in the M&A space at the time, which is obviously a huge bubble now. And uh, after that, we sort of thought, what's the best thing we can do? Should we go back into Amazon or should we do something else that we're really good at? And while we love the Amazon industry, um, what we were really good at was building systems and using those systems to effectively uh, offshore. So we, we in that previous company, we had a team of about 35 in the Philippines and we were like, we can, you know, this is something that we're doing that other people aren't doing as well as us and we can offer this as a service. And that's what turned into Multiply Me. And eventually through Multiply Me, we realized, um, you know, this we're offering an, a professional offshoring service, but people don't have the systems to support it. And we need to help them build their systems. And that's sort of what uh, came to the birth of Escala. Um, so now we have two businesses. We're about uh, 50 people in and, and we love what we do. And we love getting to work with clients in the Amazon industry and the e-commerce industry um, who sort of, you know, they can't go on holiday. And if, they, if they're sick for a day, then they lose money. So we don't think that's a great position for people to be in. And that's the problem that we're looking to solve. We want people to um, be able to scale up their business. We want people to run their e-commerce businesses in a professional way. And that's sort of our tagline, professionalizing the e-commerce world or systemizing your Amazon business. That's pretty cool. So uh, just to like clarify all that, it almost sounds like a Scala came from an idea that you guys wanted to be on, go on vacation yourselves. And you're just like, why don't we just sell a service like this so other people can go on vacation? Is, is Would you say that's like a good summation of everything? Well, Sort of. I mean, we do like going on vacation and uh, we're, you know, small business owners and we know what it's like to to work in the business versus working on the business. And I mean, yeah, let's just go with yes. I, I think that <laughs> I think that in the history book, it might look a bit different. But yeah, we we know what it's like to be working crazy hours and it doesn't have to be that way. As a business leader, you can really you can build the system so that you're sort of outside of the day-to-day -day and your role is making high-level decisions and helping, you know, helping people be bold inside of your business. But you don't need to be the one that's, you know, working the 18-hour days. And um, we like it when people work hard as long as they're also working smart at the same time. So working smart is, is the non-negotiable. And if you want to work eight-hour days or you want to work 16-hour days, that's your choice as long as all the work is smart. So let's talk about working smart. How does Escala help businesses work smart? Yeah, so... When we talk about working smart, I think what that means is, you know, we, we have the rule of delegation. We didn't make it up. It's a pretty famous rule where basically it says, if someone else in your team can do something 80% as well as you can do it, then you shouldn't be doing it. So 
if I've got someone in my team, you know, I'm the one who is, let's say, um, building, writing the listing copy. And there's someone in my team who doesn't do it as well as I do it. I'm a guru. I sort of built this Amazon business from scratch and I spend my free time watching YouTube videos. So I'm the best at it. But someone else in my team can do it 80% as well as I can. Well, the law of delegation says that I should delegate that to them so that I can elevate myself. That's actually an idea from, from Traction. A lot of people are familiar with Traction from, by Gina Wickman. The idea of delegate and elevate. So by delegating to someone else, you're able to elevate yourself to do sort of more impactful tasks. And I think when we talk about working smart, the whole idea is how can I be as impactful as possible with the time that I spend? Okay. And in, when, when it comes to impacting the business, this comes with teams and processes. And how do you guys build your processes? Because I know I've, I've, I've had like my own personal meetings with both you guys on multiple occasions, and I've seen your process, your, your, your logic mapping, but how do you guys come to that framework that this is the best way to allocate these resources and this is the best way to divide your team and to actually just conquer that space? Yeah, it's a great question. We, we model our process documentation system on EY and but basically the big four consulting firms. So all of our team inside of Ascala, they used to work in you know, either EY or Accenture. They, in consulting, they call it the big four and the big three. I don't really get the difference between them, but we've sort of taken the way that they document process for um, enterprise level businesses and stripped it down to something that's far more relevant to small businesses. Um, where the key component of the way that we document process is that we go from the top down. So a lot of people, when they're documenting process, they go um, and find the most complicated thing inside of their business because that's the thing that everyone keeps asking them about. How do I do this? How do I do this? So they'll take like the most complicated process inside of their business and give a really granular description of how to do it. And, you know, they, they'd say, yeah, I'm documenting SOPs. Well, that's great, but it's only going to help for like that one small thing and pretty quickly, that one small thing is going to become ir irrelevant, especially in the Amazon space, because there's always Amazon updates and you haven't created a system that maintains itself. So the way that we document process is from the top down. We really start with like, what are the core functions inside of the business? So what are the teams? So in Amazon, you'll have like product research and development, product launch, brand management, inventory management, customer support. You might have some other marketplaces. That's sort of the, the breakdown. It's obviously going to look different per business. And then we break it down one level further and we say, all right, product research and development. What does that look like? So inside of that core function, you've got product discovery, product validation. And, and again, we customize it to every business. We hate templated SOPs, but I'm just giving, you know, I'm giving the high level of what it looks like. So inside of research and development, you've got product discovery, product validation, product development, product sourcing, um, and then product sign off, let's just say. So I'm talking about how we go from top down. So then it's like, all right, well, we've got product discovery. What does that actually mean? So inside of product discovery, you're going to be like, well, we discover new products using Elite Seller, of course. Um, so we discover new products using Elite Seller. And then we, uh, we've got an internal validator sheet and we need to make sure that it satisfies all of the values inside of our validator sheet. And then from there, we've got to make sure that um, it fits into our one of our categories that, we've, that we haven't like whatever. And then we need to make sure that it's, not a seasonal product. So that's like the next steps. And then, it, and then you know, we go down even further because discover product on Elite Seller, that's not a step-by-step -step process. So at the moment, we're at level three where we started at product research and development into product discovery, into use Elite Seller to discover new products. And then it's like, well, how do we actually use Elite Seller to discover new products? 
And then we get into that complicated level of um, SOPs, which people usually start with. That's where we end. And that would be what we would call level four and five. Um, and that, you know, is, is obviously really granular and you'd be able to, to sort of explain how to use a lead seller to discover new products better than I would. But yeah, um, how do you, how do you sort prevent of, redundancies? Uh, with with doing everything that you're doing, because what I what I what I find interesting about your process mapping is that obviously you guys customize it for every single business. Uh, with Amazon rolling out updates or with other softwares rolling out updates, how do you prevent redundancies, or how do you how do you streamline the the process of of having to redo something over again if it needs to be tweaked based on a new on, on a new model? Yeah, so in a Scala we say that we're going to get you to a baseline and then you're going to need it to maintain it yourself. Like we work in, um, we work in projects. We don't work on an ongoing retainer and we sort of live by the mantra of teaching you how to fish. Um, because the reality is that there are going to be things that become redundant that are going to need to be updated. You know, for example, two years ago, everyone would have had a process for appending all your reviews and finding the customer who left you a negative review and then reaching out to that customer on channels outside of Amazon. That obviously has become a lot harder to do now because Amazon have removed the fulfillment reports. So you're going to need to create a new process. Now, we don't want you to have to call a Scala to say like, hey, Amazon made this one small change and now we need to get you in. We want to teach you sort of how to do that. So we live, we start at the um, baseline that there are going to be things that you need to update. And we spend a lot of time teaching you about our methodology and how you can sort of do this without us. But um, in terms of making sure that that baseline that we actually um, sort of define at the start doesn't have too many redundancies, we, uh, we sort of go through a really thorough approach where we interview everyone in your team. And if you were to ever try to do this yourself, the one sort of tip that I would say is don't document based on what you think the process is. Because as a business owner, you're probably really far removed. And what you think the process is, is no longer the actual process. So always start by speaking to your people and saying, hey, when it comes to researching for a new product, where do you actually start? What's your first step? Um, and that's how we sort of eliminate those redundancies because we really ask every single person in the business, like, you know, you, you walk through the office or if it's work from home, you wake up, you get out of bed, you make your coffee, you sit down at your desk, what do you do? And that's how we make sure that we're documenting what actually happens and not what we think the ideal situation would be and then we sort of make minor changes and that's what we call the future state um, and we give you all these different recommendations on how you can be better systemized but by being really thorough in that interview stage we make sure that there's no redundancies and um and you know we work with we we work at a really uh granular level we spend a lot of hours documenting but we think that this is something that people could do themselves and we're super happy to share sort of our methodologies for for anyone that will listen because it's a super it's a super geeky topic and <laughs> it's not, it's not very sexy to talk about. I'll be honest. No, I guarantee you somebody's, uh, somebody's finding this topic very sexy. They're, they're listening to us and they're just like, yes, that's, man, I'm going to be able to scale my <laughs> business up in a new way. Never, never done before. Uh, what, what, uh, what I find really interesting about that is that you not only just interview the employees, but you inter you interview managers and you interview the owners, right? So, um, when it comes down to that, when do you guys decide what type of process mapping that you would do for a specific type of business? Obviously, you have your, your small Amazon business, you have your medium size, and then you have your enterprise level. And I imagine that you guys have SOPs. At what level do you guys make that decision? Uh, yeah, so we'll document processes for anyone. And I think the, the processes are going to look different. But what we've noticed is that whether your Amazon business is five people or 50 people, 
you're covering more or less the same. The DNA of your business is going to be 80% match to, you know, between five people or 50 people. You're still going to be doing many of the same processes. The company with 50 people might just be doing it at a much higher volume or velocity, and they might also be doing it a lot more thorough. But sort of the high level is going to look really similar um, in terms of the core functions and even like the level two of, of what we call the processes. So um, we decide, we sort of first interview everyone and we get a holistic picture. Like a lot of the, a lot of the times people will come to me and say, hey, can you sort of just document my research and development process? And I'm like, we could, and I could say yes, but I feel a responsibility to tell you that halfway through this, you're just gonna be like, oh, research and development is way too linked to launch. We're gonna to have to document launch as well. So we always have, we have a bias to doing everything holistically. We look at, you know, everything holistically. And then we, once we've sort of interviewed everyone, only then will we sit down and say, now let's look at the process map. What's the most intuitive way to document it? And that's sort of something that, that we can talk about as well as the whole concept of intuitive documentation, which is like, I want to say that we coined the term. I'm sure we didn't, but I haven't really heard too many people in the, in the Amazon industry talking about it. And it's the idea that when you document something, it should be really easy for someone who's never seen it before to find. Like the same way that you give a kid in Africa who's never used technology an iPad and he knows how to use it. That's sort of the idea with, um, you know, you should be able to onboard someone who's never been in your business and they should be able to intuitively navigate the documentation that, that we give you. Yeah, you guys should definitely trademark that term before somebody else does. So that's just my bit of business advice to you. Uh, would you recommend that after you do all the documentation and you build up uh, the system processes maps for these businesses, that the training also not only comes uh, from the SOPs, but internally as well from these new processes? Yeah, so um, that's, exa that's exactly right. So what we build, sort of the de deliverables, and if you document your processes in the way that, that we think uh, you could document them, then that can be used for as onboarding materials. So for example, for Scala, we're onboarding new consultants all the time. We basically onboard them and there's like a touch point at the start where they go through the HR orientation and then they get just like a little introduction call. And then the, their entire next two weeks is mapped out on ClickUp where they have just like some sort of every two days, they've got a touch point with Ping, our principal consultant, where they can just ask questions about what they've been told to learn. But basically it just navigates them through all of the SOPs um, one by one. They go through it. There's like video material on everything they have to learn. And the product is that after two weeks, we get a consultant who, you know, knows the Scala systems. They've had an opportunity to ask all the questions that they need to ask and they're sort of ready to go. And obviously there's a whole like nurturing process after that. It's not like we just throw them onto your business and, uh, and they're expected to like, you know, move their magic and they'll always work with a senior sort of supervising them. But that's the whole idea is like, if you onboard a new brand manager and you've documented your processes the way that we do, and I keep on saying this because I really think that you can do it yourself. You don't need us. Um, but if you've documented your process with the level of sort of detail that we have, then theoretically you should be able to onboard that brand manager and within two weeks or three weeks or however long, they should be ready to manage a brand inside of your business the way that you do things, not the way that they do things. Gotcha. Do you ever find that there's a conflict with the training processes that you push down or that you, the SOPs that you create for these companies and people's old systematic ways of doing their business? It's kind of like teaching an old dog new tricks. Yeah. 
for sure. Uh, and there are some things that, you know, that can't really be documented to a T. Like there are some, we, when we document, you know, this is getting really geeky, but when we document our level three processes, we've got things that we call decisions and decisions have sort of a level four and five of detail. Sorry, sorry. Tasks have a level four and five of detail, but then decisions are some things that can't be documented to a T. So for example, um, if I was to tell you like at the end of the day, how do we say yes or no on a, on a product, whether we're going to, whether we're going to launch it or not. Um, that's something that at the end of the day needs a bit of like subjectivity and it's not just going to be objective, no matter how many metrics you place there, there's still going to be a factor where you need to say yes or no. Um, and that's going to be based a bit on intuition and based on subjectivity and that's okay. Um, and that's the areas where you have to look out for like, is this someone who is implementing sort of something that they learned three years ago and isn't, hasn't really been updated or is it not? Um, so that's the area that, that we'd sort of want to be really careful. However, with the tasks, they should be linear and there's really no reason for someone to do the things that they used to do. And if they do, then it's probably a, you know, it's more, it, it might be because they have a better way to do things. And if so, then you should listen to them. Uh, and if someone can prove to, you know, if we have a system of doing something and anyone in my team, no matter whether they're senior or junior comes to me and says, Hey, I think there's a better way of doing something. I'm always going to listen. And that's how we've changed a lot of the things we do inside of Escala. But if it's someone who's just haphazardly working their old way, even though there is a system that's really well documented that documents the new way of doing things, then that's probably a problem with the person. And, you know, that's when we can pretty easily go up to them and say, hey, it's documented here. Why are you doing it this way? And, you know, have that conversation with them. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Obviously, you're gonna you're gonna approach it from a very nurturing and caring perspective, and you're gonna take time to like figure out what their touch points and pain points are, and see if there's a way that you can uh, circumnavigate the way that they're actually doing the processes, uh, their old way versus the way that's now being laid out. Now, one thing I definitely want to talk to you about is ClickUp. And I know over here at Elite Seller, we use ClickUp. You guys use ClickUp. I like to refer to ClickUp as the nightmare fuel that runs our business because uh, <laughs> that's just how I see it. But it's it's highly effective. How does Escala use ClickUp to help others scale their business? And how do you guys use ClickUp? Yeah. So what we love about ClickUp is that it has the you know the project management element of it. So that's something that you can find on ClickUp. You can find on Monday. You can find on all these other places. But then it's linked to the wiki. Uh, ClickUp Docs is is something you know we use ClickUp Docs the way that you would use a wiki. And I'm not sure if some of ClickUp's competitors have it. But um, what we do basically is you've got ClickUp Docs, which is where we document the SOPs, and then you've got the ClickUp Workflows, which is where you've got basically the checklist of tasks. Of I say checklist, that's dangerous because there is something called checklist on ClickUp. Okay, so you've got the the list. There's a list as well. <laughs> you've got you've got basically the series of tasks that you need to do, and that's what we'd call a workflow inside of ClickUp. And then you've got the docs, which document how you're meant to do each of those tasks, and you can link them together, which we find really cool. So basically, the the key um, thing that people say about SOPs that are like, yeah, SOPs are a waste of time, is you never actually use them. You write them once and you never look at them again. That's why we love ClickUp because it puts that myth to bed. And basically when you go, for example, when you go to launch a new product and you need to write a product listing. Uh, so there's going to be like the steps there that, you know, there's going to be the business, a way of writing listing copy. And 
you know, there's going to be a checklist. So first you do the keyword research and then you write the product title and then you do this. But then when you go into that task, when you click into that task inside of ClickUp, it's going to be linked to the SOP of how we do that. So we find that really cool that like SOPs are part of your day-to-day um, because every time you go to, to to perform a task, it's right there. It's it's opposite your face that says, you know, these are the steps that we use inside of our business to actually write the listing copy. So we think that's really cool. Um, ClickUp has a bunch of different views. And, and you know, what I, what I will say to... Uh, to anyone who's considering which project management tool to use um, is that people always look for the most complicated aspects of like, does it integrate with this? And does it, you know, can it give me a, can it give me this view that like, I'm never, ever going to look at. And then they sign up for the one that they've done like weeks of market research on and they end up using it for like its most basic functionality. So I would say just sign up for the one that makes, you know, that makes the most sense that other people are using, that you'll be able to like ask them for feedback and use it at the start for its basic functionality and then sort of look to use it for its most complex functionality. But the, the reality is that 95% of ClickUp users and Monday users and every other type of user just use it for the really basic things. And that's amazing because even the basic functionality is super useful to any business. I mean, I don't know, you guys are a technology company, so I'm sure you've thought of some way to leverage it. But for us internally, even though we're like the ClickUp gurus and we can implement any type of, um, you know, any type of automation that you want, or we can set up any like integration using any form of like Zaps, we still just use it for the basic functionality and that's super effective for us. Yeah, I can honestly say uh, when I use ClickUp, I definitely use it to make either like to-do lists or tasks and break them down granularly. What needs to be get focused on next, setting the priority, assigning it to who, which, where, and why, uploading documents, uploading files, recordings, et cetera, uh, things like that. Uh, what I find interesting is that you guys aren't really truly uh, ClickUp agnostic. You know, you guys are open to the idea of using any software out there and whatever actually fits the company versus saying like, no, this is the best model. I kind of like to think of ClickUp as like, the IKEA furniture of of, uh, uh, of of like business organization and high level management. You know, it comes with all these extra things, and it comes with a bunch of extra parts that you definitely don't need, but they're there just. In- you know, I'm I'm sure anybody that's ever put together something from IKEA knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like when you're done, you're like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, dude. You got like 15 extra screws, and you're just like, I hope this thing sticks together, and and it does, and it definitely does. So, how do you guys use your systems and processes to effectively outsource? So great question. What my philosophy is, is that if you want to onboard anyone, let's talk about whether they're in the Philippines, the US, if you want to effectively onboard them um, and then sort of have them manage their function, then you're going to need a system that allow, that basically allow, empowers them to be able to operate when you're not around. So poor leaders, um, or let's say egotistical leaders, they sort of build a dependency on themselves. And I'm not saying that Amazon, you know, Amazon founders are poor leaders, but they've sort of just grown up. Um, they, they started this business in their bedroom and then they were like, wow, there's too much for me to handle. I'm going to bring someone on to help me handle tasks. So then they bring on someone who does a bit of data entry, a bit of product research and development, a bit of inventory management. And then they're like, wow, this person's really swamped. I'm going to bring on another person. So then they, they've got like another person who's just like, you know, placing band-aids on all these like gaping holes. And then they bring on another person and it's it's what we'd call task-based delegation, which ultimately never removes the dependency from you because they're not going to be able to go and take a function and take it to the next level, you know, do research because they're doing a bunch of different tasks. 
and none of it's sort of documented. So they're all just, they're basically just relying on what you tell them to do. Um, when you do, so that's task-based delegation. When you do responsibility-based delegation, that basically empowers the person to make decisions and you're, you know, you give, you empower them, you say, I'm going to try, even if, even if you fail, I would rather you fail autonomously than you succeed, but you take up half of my time. So, um, so that's like, that's what we'd call responsibility-based delegation. Now, what allows you to do responsibility-based delegation? It's really thorough documentation. If you bring in a rock star, let me just go back for a second. If you bring in a rock star, you can say to them, hey, I've got this problem. You know, that's a concept from good to great. I've got this problem. I'm not going to focus on the what of solving this problem. I'm going to focus on the who of solving this problem. That person is you. I'd like you to dive in, assess the problem and fix it. That's Great if you've got rock stars on your team. We're not all so lucky, even though we have a bunch of rock stars, you might not be so lucky. So the next best thing that you can do is like build a really great system which allows people to, um, to perform tasks and, and perform their responsibility autonomously. Then you, you sort of bake into that KPI. So if you've got a really great system, then you're going to be able to know which metrics to judge people based on. And if you can judge people on the, those metrics, if you can measure the metrics, then you can improve the metrics. And if you can improve the metrics, then you can incentivize people. So it's sort of like the system is the base for being able to effectively delegate. If you don't have the system and that person is sort of not a rock star, which let's be honest, 5% of your business might be rock stars, the rest won't be, um, then that person's going to keep on coming back to you and you're not going to be able to effectively delegate. So right. they're, they're very um, dependent on you to kind of give them guidance. It almost sounds like the way that you guys systemize businesses, instead of having one person be the jack of all trades, you have this person. It's like, okay, you're the king of hearts. You're the ace of spades. You are the 10 of clubs and you're the, uh, whatever the other suite is that I, that I forgot to mention because I don't pay attention to playing cards that often. Uh, but you guys definitely say, okay, this is your task. This is what you focus on. You're, you're, it's, it's, it's like a widget, right? You know, this widget does this, this widget does that like cars, uh, parts of a car. Yeah. So and speak. I'll just, and I'll just add on to that. That's exactly right. And I'll just add on to that, that everything that I just said about sort of delegation, if it's X percent, if it's X true about, you know, employees in the US or the UK or wherever you're listening from, then it's going to be like 2X true for the Philippines and, and India and Pakistan, and any offshore hub, because, you know, from our experience and whether we like it or not, um, you know, I hate to generalize, but generalization is sort of important. If you want to see results, you've got to, you've got to know who you're dealing with and, there is an element of like, um, there's sort of like this shyness that they're not going to be able to, to speak up and say, listen, I really don't understand my task and I need you to, to sort of um, explain it better to me. So that there's sort of like a more, um, you, you need to flesh out the task a little better to give them that confidence that they can go, go and do what they want. And listen, after time, and we, we like really believe that our team in the Philippines Everyone tells me to shut up and we've got, we've got like a very, um, you know, there's no hierarchy. It's a very flat structure and we've got our team in the Philippines running our business and, and we love them. And, you know, our COO is from the Philippines. But if, if you sort of hire one person from the Philippines, the likelihood is they're not going to give you that pushback that, um, that like, listen, this isn't documented well and I don't know what to do. They're probably going to go ahead and try and do it to the best of their ability because that's sort of what they do. And, um, and they might struggle just, you know, they, you might not see the results and then you'll be like, well, it was a problem with the person. And it's like, no, it's not a problem with the person. It's a problem with the system that you don't have. Mm -hmm. So um, the processes aren't fleshed out enough. 
And it almost sounds like you guys are definitely giving a voice back to the employees in the business instead of them having just like, okay, uh, your, your job is to do this mindless task over and over again. Like, no, your job is to also do this task, provide feedback, let us know where we can improve upon it. And if you need further help and guidance, we can definitely flesh that, flesh that out. But we also want you to be autonomous and be able to be a free thinking, free moving person, because at the end of the day, you are a human being, you are, you are not a cog. What would you have to say businesses that have employees that wear multiple hats? Because I can tell you, uh, working for a software company, we, there's a lot of stuff that we have to do and we have to constantly juggle certain things. What would you have to say to businesses like that or other businesses that you've experienced and worked with in the past where somebody's constantly doing like four or five different tasks? Yeah. So Amazon have, um, Amazon have this theory. I just read a, a book. It's called Working Backwards and, and I absolutely love it. So Amazon, the way that they work, they've got this concept called separable single-threaded leadership. And the whole concept of um, separable single-threaded leadership is that if you've got a major project that you want to be worked on, so for example, you want to release a new feature inside of Elite Seller, um, the concept of someone working on like four or five new features at once is something that's going to be really hard for them to do. Whereas if you build like, a, so single-threaded basically means that there's one person making the decisions for that, for that new feature. And it's not all sort of tracking back to the CEO who's making decisions over all of these features, rather they're sort of finding that one person who's going to have end-to-end -end ownership and separable, meaning that they're only going to do that one thing. They're not going to work on multiple things at once. They're going to work on that one thing. And then Amazon's sort of philosophy is that you have as many people as possible working on one thing. And the reality of small businesses is that you can't have that, but you should endeavor to have that as much as possible. Um, so a lot of the time that means breaking up a role. Um, a, lo a lot of the time, by the way, you'll see like that there's complete overlap between two people on two of like two very similar tasks. So you've got two people who are handling inventory management and customer support. And you could just be like, hey, from now on, your inventory management, your customer support. It's never that simple. But that's the concept of like, when you really deep dive and say, what is everyone focusing on? I want people to be divided by responsibilities and not by tasks. Then you can be like, um, okay, well, it's actually a much easier fix than I thought. There's not, um, you know, the overlap is less extreme than what I expected. The sort of mutually exclusive circles are not as sort of more mutually exclusive than I thought they were. So that's um, that, that's the main thing I would say. Obviously, with small businesses, we, we had it as well. As you grow, people need to cover more. Sort of when you're growing, people need to cover a lot of ground. And then as you grow, you should just look to, when you bring someone on, you should look to bring someone on to assign them a responsibility and not a task. Yeah, specifically do that. So it's not just like they're, they have one official title, but they do like 20 different things. It's like, this is their title. This is what they do. This and is you know, I've always been, I've always been super cynical about product titles, uh, product titles, about um, role titles. Like if you ask me what my title is, I'm the director of a scholar, but I'm also the co-founder, but I wasn't whatever. Like I don't care about my title, but there is something that's very unique about titles in that by giving someone a title and really thinking like, what is this person's title? You assign them a purpose and a responsibility in the business. And that, you know, that doesn't work if you just aimlessly hand out titles, like, hey, you're the VP of this. But if you really think about titles and you have a culture in your team where titles are important, which I know a lot of people don't, um, but if you do, then you really have to think, all right, what, what, why, do we, why, do we employ, why do we pay this guy a salary? What, 
What is the purpose, you know, that he is trying to fill? So this is what I'd like to ask you uh, that I find uh, truly unique, right? So you guys build up all these processes, you build up, you build up these individuals, you have these SOPs that break down. How do you guys strengthen internal communication within the companies so that everybody's moving in lockstep? It's a good question. So we run on traction. Um, we, you know, it's funny, people say like, how do you improve communication? I'm a big believer that I'm a big believer. I saw this from, from Jeffy B, Jeff Bezos, um, that if you want people to be able to be builders inside of your business, you shouldn't focus on improving communication. You should focus on removing communication, meaning we should not have too many internal dependencies to get work done. People should be able to work within small pods to, um, to, you know, if, if we're, if I'm a developer and I'm working on a project and I can't move forward until I get sign off from the finance manager and the legal and the legal team. And, you know, it's going to take me a lot of time. And that's when you would look to like improve the communication, but then sort of the Amazon way is like, no, let's just build small pods and remove communication. And that's going to be the fastest way, but not everyone can do that. So in terms of improving communication, we run on traction and we have our L10 meeting once a week. Um, and we are, we basically say, if the world's not on fire, then push it towards the L10 meeting. And let's just have like a really intense, um, well, what do they say? They say like exhilarating, but exhausting inside of traction. That's what the L10 meeting should be. So you, we like centralize all of our issues to 90 minutes and we try and solve as many issues as possible. And it's like, you get out of that meeting and you're dead. And we, we basically say like no notifications. You can't be sitting at your desk. You have to go to like a different place and really only focus on that meeting. Um, but I guess that again, is like a form of trying to remove communication rather than improve communication. And the, you know, the best tool for communication is ClickUp uh, or, or any project management tool. Basically like Slack, I think that Slack and email are, they're sort of a recipe for disaster. When they're addictive. That's what they are. Every time you hear that little, that little pop-up noise or you see a little notification on your phone, you definitely want to check it. So it sounds like the way that you guys, quote unquote, strengthen communication, obviously, is by removing communication aspects of that. But by the way that you guys strengthen and remove, it's almost similar to like a huddle that you would get into either with like football or soccer or even rugby or cricket. Um, so I know that you... Uh, get into a little bit of competitive sports. We're actually going to diverge the conversation a little bit. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, how your military experience ties into systems and processes. Because uh, from what Yoni told me, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you have a wealth of military experience. You've trained, uh, was it like 30 some odd guys at a single time that you were just in command and they just had a massive level of respect for you from a top-down perspective. Obviously, not just due to rank, but by the way that you thought. So tell me a little bit about that and how that ties into Amazon. Yeah. So I I mean, I'll be completely honest. I don't have a university degree. I think 90% of what I do today, like the skills that I acquired were from the army. Um, in Israel, everyone has to go into the army. So it's a big part of the culture. You know, you don't start your life until um, if you're listening on a podcast, I did quotation marks. You don't start your life until you're like 22, 23. Um, and I got to that age and I sort of went into this e-commerce business and then I delayed my university because I, I just had a great opportunity and then I delayed it again and then again. And now like there's no chance. Um, sorry, mom. <laughs> but the the skills that I acquired from from the army, I just, you know, you're a, you're a 19 year old and you go in for the first time. And by the time you're a 21 year old, you're already a commander. And a 22 year old you're an officer so you get exposed to a level of responsibility that's just 
you know, in, in a business sense, it would take you years to get there. Um, so yeah, my training was a year and two months. And then after that, I got asked to, to go to commander's course. And then I was a commander after four months. And then after four months of that, I got asked to go to officer's course. And officer's course is an eight-month course where you learn, you basically learn like um, it's split up into two modules where one is like how to be a leader on the battlefield. And that's far more tactical of like militarily tactical. And then the other part is how to be a leader, you know, like a how to how to lead people, how to manage people, let's call it. Um, and that's like how to motivate people, how to deal with people who are, you know, who are aggressive or how to deal with people who are emotional. So there's a bit of like EQ involved in that. And then you're like, you know, you're thrown into the deep end, no matter how much preparation you do, you get your soldiers, you know, they've just passed their, there's like a, like a physical five day test that, that you need to complete to get to the unit that I was in. And then they, yeah. And then they, you know, they, they finish and they land on your doorstep and they go through the commanders and like my second in command. And then they come to you and they like, you know, the first time that someone saluted me, I was like, what are you doing, dude? But, um, but then, you know, you've, you learn that leadership is not about leadership and friendship are as overlap, but they're not the same thing. And you sort of need to be able to look someone in the eye. And if you tell them that you're disappointed in them, that needs to mean something. And if you tell them that you're really proud of them, then that also really needs to mean really needs to mean something. And, you know, that's something that, that you just learn by, you learn on the job. And I was, I was an officer for two and a half years. And at one point I was like second in command for about a hundred soldiers. And you learn a lot about like, how do I cover a lot of ground by delegating? Because there's so much that needs to get done. And you're just the, you're sort of like the top level leader, but you got to delegate to the people around you. Um, you sort of learn how to, obviously how to um, operate in stressful situations although thankfully i i didn't have anything uh, real i just had training and uh and i guess you learn how to how to deal with people ultimately um how to really like build the people around you a big focus in, in the army is like i don't get trained i don't get judged I, I got out of the army like four years three three years ago i don't get judged my, my score in the army of how I performed as an officer is still not solidified because I don't get judged based on the soldiers that I sent to officer's course. I get judged based on the soldiers that I sent to officer's course, the soldiers that they sent to officer's course. So it's like my great, great, great grandchildren, basically. Yeah, generations um, of expertise over time. And it almost sounds like when you were thrown into this pressure cooker at a very young age when you joined the military that you clearly came out as a diamond at the end because you were able to command over 100, over 100 soldiers. And with that military experience, obviously, there's a massive correlation with the way that you run your business. It's from a very top-down perspective, but it's also systemized and made sure to fit. And again, I imagine that the way that you communicated with your soldiers is in a similar way that you communicate with your own employees, whether it's in a Scala or whether it's uh, with dealing with somebody's company. If you're disappointed in the way that they're doing work or you know that they could be doing better, you'll let them know. But it's not a, it's not in a way that's going to be like insulting or demeaning. This is from a uh, a, a business-minded approach in the same way that you are proud of them or uh, you're, you're impressed with the quality of work that they did. Again, it's all in a business-minded approach. So again, I, you and Libby by far are like one of the two interesting guys I've inter uh, that I've interviewed or had a discussion with on this podcast, whatever format this is, whether it's an interview or a conversation. One, you guys are Australian, you're Jewish, and you both live in Israel. So tell me a little bit about how you guys met up. Was it, was it similar to, I honestly, like the way that I imagine it, it's almost like you guys met at a volleyball match, similar to one that happened in Top Gun. And then 
you, you guys spiked the ball and then at the end you guys jumped and hit a hit a high five and like the sun <laughs> perfectly in the background tell me a little bit about how you guys got in the business together because i find this extremely interesting yeah. especially when it comes yeah. to partnerships yeah so yanni yanni's like eight years older than me but he grew up about 500 meters away from me in australia 500 meters what's that like 1500 feet and but we never met each other in australia because he was a lot older and then I, you know, I came to Israel actually before he came to Israel, he had a pit stop in LA. And then um, I finished the army and there's an Australian football team. So Australian football, for those who don't know, very different to American football, very different to soccer. It's a, it's a game that exists only in Australia. It's not rugby, but it's similar sort of aggression to rugby. It, you should check it out. It's a great game. But there's not a lot of people who played in Israel, let's put it that way. And there is a team. And I got out of the army. I, I did my traveling. I traveled in Australia and Thailand and Vietnam. And then I came to Israel. It was my first night back and I was sort of a bit jet lagged. But I heard that there was this football training that I could never go to when I was in the army because I was in the army. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'll just go. Uh, I won't sleep. Um, and that way I'll, I'll get over my jet lag faster. And I go there and I'm speaking to to this guy who seems like a cool guy and he's telling me about like, yeah, how he's moving up inside of this e-commerce company. And I was planning on doing what they call the psychometric test in which you need to do to get accepted to university. And I'm speaking to this guy and I really like his energy. And he's like, you know, I'm a bit jet lagged. So his energy is a bit much for anyone who doesn't know Yoni. But, um, but all of a sudden, you know, he's telling me about his business and in my head, I'm like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Like I promised myself I'd just like be a barman and just like go and, and go to university and be normal for once. And in my head, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, don't say it. And then I'm like, can I have a job? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, we, yeah. Um, and then he sent me this presentation to put together. Uh, I think he was really, you know, he also sort of felt that that spark and he helped me put this presentation together. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I basically did market research on whether we could, um, whether we could, whether that company could enter the pillow industry inside of Amazon. And I didn't know what Amazon was and I didn't know what Elite Seller was or Helium 10 or anything. And I was just basically winging it and he was helping me out. Um, and then I went and presented to the founders. And I think the, the thing that they really liked, uh, which is like very, for anyone who knows me, it's very me, is that, you know, the market research was probably all bullshit. It had nothing to do with keywords. Um, it had nothing to do with anything. But the thing that they liked was that I came up with this strategy that um, people would rather sleep on a 10 out of 10 pillow and a 5 out of 10 mattress than a 5 out of 10 pillow and a 10 out of 10 mattress. It was like this, it was this theory that I had. And then I went into the street and asked 100 people which one they would rather. And like 75% of people said that they would rather a 10 out of 10 pillow. But the, that combination is a lot cheaper than the other combination. So I was like, well, there's, you know, there's, there's something to exploit here in the market. And they were like, seriously, you went out and asked a hundred people. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I want this job. And then they were like, you know, there, from there I got hired and, and then uh, the rest is history. Like he was my boss and then he, we became partners. And now, uh, yes, three years after meeting him, we're like really good friends as well. That is, that is almost, uh, the, the price is right model, right? Where you go out on the street. Uh, I think that's the name of the show. I don't know. I think Steve Harvey's the, the new host of it, but, uh, what they do is they interview, uh, uh like a hundred people on the street and they'll ask them a question and how they would answer. And then people would obviously guess. But I, I think that's really interesting that you guys came with this, with this model to show what was more cost effective for the business, 
and what would actually bring in a higher ROI. Obviously, a mattress is huge. It's heavy. It could definitely suck. And there are a ton of mattresses in the marketplace. But what most people are going to value at the end of the day, the quality of the sleep is what's under their head, not what's under their butt. So I think that's really interesting that you guys were able to uh, to, to actually formulate that and present that. And and I, I think it's really hilarious how you uh, fought fought the urge to to ask Yoni for a job, but you ended up going with your gut anyway. And then here you are three years later saying like uh, three years ago, it's like, hey, I wanted a normal lifestyle. It's like, dude, you've never really had a normal lifestyle. Everything that you've told me has been like exotic and amazing at the same time. So obviously that's how you got, that's how you got in uh, Amazon. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience with like competitive sports and why you guys chose the Philippines. How does your uh, military and sports background tie into the Amazon game? Yeah, I mean, I, I was never like super good at sports. Um, I hope my brother doesn't listen to this because he's actually really good at sports. But um, I, I was like, a, I played club uh, footy, like AFL, what I, Australian rules football. And I played club cricket, but not at a super high level. Um, but I love sort of that. You know what, I'll sort of reject the question and say, I don't think my background with competitive sports has anything to do with Amazon. Um, but I would say the military service definitely does because I think what Amazon is, is like an extremely busy environment where there's so much to do. You know, it's, it's, one, it's a really unique marketplace in that you get so much data and there's no way that you could possibly, you know, you could pause time for a month and every, you know, everyone else is paused and you just get to work and you still wouldn't be able to do enough of what you want to do because there's so much data, there's so much, so much analysis you can do, so much research. And that's really similar to the army. Like there's so much to do in so little time. And the people who have the best systems are the ones who can win. Um, you know, like you look at like Thrasio now and they're, I'm not sure if you saw their recent numbers, like they're seriously growing and they're doing amazingly. They're going to IPO or they're going to stack. And I think what they're doing amazingly is that they've just got the system down pat so that they're not relying on like someone who can just work like crazy for 18 hours a day. They're relying on a system. And, and that's the same with the army. Um, you know, you're basically taking 19 year olds. And by the time that they're 21, they're training 19 year olds. Like that only works because of a system. It doesn't work because you can just rely on amazing people. So um, I would say, my military background enabled me to be able to work in in such a busy environment such as Amazon. Um, in my sports background, I just like playing sports, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, the Philippines, I mean, the Philippines is, is a different sort of different question, but we love working with the Philippines because, you know, we've set out on a mission to sort of dispel this VA culture where you take like someone who's got a double degree in finance and economics and you place them as like a, a data entry person, basically doing copy paste on Excel. Like, and then you wonder why they quit after three months. And it's like, you can really, you know, that's a, that's a country where people grow up speaking English as their first language or as their educational language. Um, extremely similar to the US in terms of culture, like um, extremely loyal people who are very motivated by stability. They want stability in their work so that they can, enjoy things like family, very similar to, you know, to you and I and everyone else. So I've got nothing against the other hubs, but we particularly like working with the Philippines and we've built amazing connections in the Philippines. And, um, you know, that's what Multiply Me does. We've spoken a lot about Escala, but Multiply Me helps you sort of find those rock stars in the Philippines and onboard them into your business for, you know, long-term, long-term employment. Um, 
and not sort of this VA, can you just do this quick thing for me and I'll pay you nothing and, and like, I expect you to stay with me forever. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of our mission. Uh, and that's what we're, uh, I wouldn't call it a social mission because uh, we do it because we think it's a sustainable, profitable business, but we know that it helps a lot of people and, um, and it helps sort of dispel, dispel a myth that we're, uh, that we really don't like. No, it's, it's beautiful. You guys are definitely humanizing the VA culture and the VA process. And uh, that's something that's always been in the back of my head, especially um, when it comes to the qualitative work that you're doing, but also the quantitative work that you're doing with VAs and uh, cost benefit analysis of it at the end of the day. You know, you want to make sure that this person's happy that they're able to actually have a sufficient life, but the sacrifices that they're making, obviously working on your time zone versus their time zone to actually be able to help you grow their business. Is this going to be beneficial for them and is also going to be beneficial for your business? If it isn't the right fit, then they're obviously going to leave. And especially if you have a person that has a high level of degree, putting them in a task that's so beneath them because the pay is also beneath them as well, doesn't seem to make them want to stay. And from what I know of working with uh, Filipino VAs is that uh, they can be very meek and they don't want to actually speak up when something is wrong. They'd rather just walk away. So again, this ties back to you guys giving the the VAs a, a, a voice. And yeah, this is this is beautiful. If you guys want to learn more about Ascala, you can hit up Lippy on Facebook. Eli Lipowitz right there will have his name in the title. Uh, it's you it's can, not quite my name, but <laughs> no one knows my actual name. It's Ellie Lipshots, but <laughs> oh um, dude, I'm over yeah, here. Butchering you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My Lippy Lippy is like, oh that's all you need to know. <laughs> Go go to my go to my friends and just find him. It's a lot easier. <laughs> or, you can, or you can even go to the website We Are Escala. And I'd love to ask ask you guys how you came up with this cool name, uh, real quick before we wrap it up. Uh, yeah, Escala. Well, multiply me is like I want to multiply myself, and and uh, that's that's the you know the recruitment business. So by recruiting, I multiply myself, and then Escala. Uh, scala means scale in Spanish, and a lot of the Filipino dialects are actually influenced by scale as by Spanish. Sorry, so um, I think there are some Filipino dialects that a scala would mean something similar to scale. So yeah, that's the idea: scale, scaling your Amazon business by systemizing your Amazon business. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Again, guys, hit up Escala if you want to build systems and processes for your business and help you effectively manage and outsource your entire team, as well as multiply me. Again. Uh, Eli Lipschatz over at Escala. You can find him on LinkedIn. You will see all the information down in the bio. He's a big fan of Test Match, Cric uh, Test Match Cricket. Make sure you <laughs> ask him about that. He'll gladly challenge you. But at the same time, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you head on over to EliteSeller.com. Check out our 14-day free trial for any one of our plans. Make sure that you use the code JOSH15 when you sign up to get 15% off for life so you can start managing your business like the CEO that we know that you are. Thanks for joining us, Lippy. Thanks. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun.